Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. First of all, I want to thank you all for going to iTunes and rating the podcast five stars. We got five stars all across, uh, and, and that's thanks to you. And I also thank you for the comments that you all have been leaving. Um, and if you have not done yet, please go leave a comment. Let me know how much the podcast means to you. Uh, and, and, and that's cause that's part of the fuel that keeps me going, uh, to feel appreciated. And, and I love to hear from you, your stories, uh, of your trials and tribulations and how you've overcome those and how the podcast has helped you out. It means so much to me. Um, with that said, today's guest, we have Kavana Nixon, who is a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's out there in in Philly, uh, a home of brotherly love. Uh, if you've never been to Philly, great food. You got to go. Uh, and great people. And Kavana Nixon uh, fits that mold where today we talk about um, sex and finances. Yeah, because Kavana believes not in just uh, marriage counseling and not just premarital counseling, but pre-premarital counseling. And I know you guys are like, what is pre-premarital counseling? Well, you got to listen to the episode to find that out. Um, so we get into pre-premarital counseling. We talk about sex. We talk about finances. And, and not sex in a way that you think. We, 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 we get a little deeper than sex is, as it's usually discussed. We even get into the five love languages. Yeah, yeah. If you have not read that book, you got to read that book. It's, it's a small little book. It's something you can read on. I actually have the the book in my bathroom uh, so I can, I can flip through it because I, I be forgetting. I be forgetting my love language. I be forgetting my girlfriend's love language. And then I forget how to communicate uh, in my language and her language. And so it's just a really good book to help you jumpstart a conversation. We not only discuss pre-premarital counseling and marriage counseling, we also get into conflict resolution. That's right. Once you're married, how do you handle conflict? How do you de-escalate a situation? How do you stop her from going upside your head is, is really what we're trying to figure out. And then, of course, we talk about divorce and how to handle getting a divorce. It's such a, a, a tough thing for anyone to go through, and especially now. I mean, it's always tough, but especially now, a divorce, that type of loss, how do you handle that grief, especially as a man? How do you handle that? So we get into so much. We pack a lot into this episode, and I'm so grateful that you're here to listen to it. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours. Truly, if you're going through a trauma, tragedy, or transition, I'm the guy that can can walk alongside you and, and gift you with some coping skills and self, self-soothing techniques uh, to get you through it. And also practical, uh, applicable steps and strategies. So it's not just woo-woo. We're, we're really talking about what are the steps, what are the things that uh, we need to do um, to, to move you forward, and also how to just be. If, if, you know, sometimes we just, uh, it's just about sitting in the pocket with you. So uh, we, we, can, we can both sit in the pocket together, sit in that darkness together, sit in that pain together, and then when we're ready, we can stand up together and move forward. With that said, 
let's jump into the episode. Where you at? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Philadelphia. No, oh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Wow. Philly, yeah. City of brotherly. I had the best food of my life in Philly. Did you uh, have a cheesesteak? You know what? I did not have the cheesesteak. No? I, I, I know. Oh, I, my gosh, Leo. <laughs> you know what it was? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we went out there. We were only there for two nights. I was doing some shows out there. And mm-hmm. uh, and a new restaurant had just opened. I can't remember the name of it. They have a bowling alley at the bottom level. Um, do you know it? I don't. I'm trying to think of it. I'm like, hmm. Uh, it's like a small little, when I say bowling, I don't mean like a full blown. It's like two lanes. Is it like three or four lanes? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like something mm-hmm. cool. Like a speakeasy. Okay. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like most people wouldn't know it's a, it's a bowling alley, right? Mm-hmm. They have a bowling alley. Right, right, right. Um, and so I was like, you know, everybody come for the cheesecake. Let me, I want to, I want to, you know, eat something different. I want to, I want to be like, and Philly got this, you know? <laughs> But then I left right. and I was like, I should have got the cheesecake because I don't know why I was playing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, now, where, where, I mean, where's the best cheesecake? I can't, I can't imagine that every place in Philly has the best Philly cheesecake. They steak. do not. No. no, they do not. So if they tell you Pat's or Jim's, do not go there. Do not go there. Um, my two favorite places are Ishka Bibbles, which is on Famous South Street. And then also Max's, which is in North Philly, which has been featured in the Creed movie where um, Michael B. Jordan goes there and gets a cheesesteak. So, yeah. Oh, that was a real place. Yeah. Yeah. Ab- yep. Oh, mm-hmm. they, they must have a line out. They must have a waiting list with uh, <laughs> uh, security. and. <laughs> it's amazing. It's You have to go. So when you come back. You have to go to either Max's or Ishka Bibbles. Okay, Ishka. All right, Ishka Bibbles. They ain't give a damn about people pronouncing their name correctly. Like I can't even spell restaurant. Ishka Bibbles. <laughs> they don't care, but the cheesesteaks are good. <laughs> all right, up there. Uh, so I, I would have. All right. So you're an LMFT out there in Philly. I, I imagine during this quarantine, business has to be booming. People ready yes. to uh, like either get married or or, or kill the person. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Either one. I've gotten a call. It's been so interesting because again, now they're spending, they don't have these outlets. They don't have these other things taking away their attention. They just have each other. And so they're like, okay, yes, we definitely need counseling because we're going to kill each other or we want to prepare because a lot of people are going to marry next year. So I've had a lot of pre um couples. Okay. So, you know, so me and my girl, we've been together since October and we've been talking about awesome. it. Yeah, shout, shout out October, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I think part of uh, what I, what I'm wrestling with now is like, what are the questions that you, are you that you're supposed to ask, or what are the things you're supposed to know? Ooh. You know, like, yeah. like you, I wouldn't even know where to start to to be like, all right, before we get married, babe, we are right, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what questions, right? What questions do you ask? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, are there exercises? Is there like a trust exercise where like she closes her eyes and falls into my arms and hopes that I catch no, not necess- <laughs> You can do that, um, but I don't necessarily <laughs> say to do that. But I'm really a proponent of pre-premarital counseling. Like even before people get engaged, I say you need to do premarital counseling when you're thinking about marrying this person. Because what I've noticed is that when you're engaged and then people start counseling during the process where they're planning for the wedding, they get engulfed in that. They are not paying attention. Not always. They're not as um, 
confident or or confident in working on the things that I'm bringing to their attention because they're kind of putting it to the side like, oh, no, we've got we've got to pick out flowers. We've got to pick out the right cake, you know. And so I say not don't just plan for your day, plan for your marriage. And so to me, you really I, I say I just recommend it is to plan beforehand before you even get engaged to, to work out those kinks. You yeah, because if they're engaged, you, you become kind of a, a buzzkill after that point, right? Like they <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and so, like you know, during that pre premarital counseling, what are some of the things that you found that people uh, gloss over, aren't aware of, or have questions mm. about? That's a great question. Um, I would say the main thing is sex and finances. Those, especially sex, you know, it's funny when I, I have a couple now and I brought up, you know, talking about their sex life and the husband was like, nope, that's a private matter. We're going to talk about it. And I was like, well, if you, I was like, well, do you guys talk about it? And the, the fiance, she was like, no, we don't. And I was like, well, yeah, we, we have to talk about this. He was like, I just feel like it's something natural that you should just know to do. And I was like, there's some natural pieces to it, but there's some pieces that I feel like is important to talk about now while you're setting the foundation for your marriage, because there are going to be bumps along the road. There are going to be things that happen where you may lose intimacy, not just the sex part, but you may lose this connection. And so you really want to talk about you know, how you initiate, who initiates, what is important to initiate, what do you do when you are feeling the need to be connected to your partner in that way? So yes, yeah, sex. And then again, finances, you know, some people never talk about it, which is surprising to me. And they feel like, oh, well, I call this an invisible contract. So you might have it, your girlfriend might have it, is that we have this idea, this idea in our head about how our marriage is supposed to be. And it's based off of what we learned from our parents or what we saw on TV. You know, the Cosbys were some people's inspiration. And we're like, oh, yeah, I'm, we're going to sit down every night. We're going to have dinner or, you know, no, we're going to eat TV. And, I mean, eat dinner in front of the TV. And so when I start bringing up those things, People really get upset and mad. It was like, no, well, I wanted to do this. And so what happens is they've never talked about it. And so, again, they have this idea. They don't talk about it and then get mad or frustrated with the person when they don't do what their invisible contract says. You know, so, um, yeah, those uh, are the top two things. You know, I, 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 there's so many things I want to unpack there. One is going back to the idea of, like, you know, sex should just be natural. And, and I think that people who say that forget the first time they had sex. Because, you know, it was it was strange and awkward, you know, uh, right. and, and for so many different reasons, the, the pregame, the game, the postgame, all of it. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, none of it's natural. And, you know, and so many people now, especially, you know, men are, are learning about sex through porn. So it's yes. really not natural the first time right. uh, or early on. Um, and then, uh, you know, the the whole I love that you brought up the intimacy part, because I think that. A lot of people do just think about sex in terms of the physical act. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, and I, I think we both agree that sex happens way before we get into the bedroom. It, it happens oh, with yes. that little text message you send early on, the flowers you leave, the card, the doing the dishes, yes. all those little things build up to it. Yes, absolutely. People and people don't realize this. The biggest sex organ you have is your brain. It, like you said, it starts before you get in the bedroom. So if I do not feel fully connected to you, um, where I'm feeling hurt, understood, or um, involved, then nothing else is going to operate in that same way. So, yeah. What Now, when we say that the biggest sex organ is the brain, what's happening in the brain? 
Like what? Ooh. Like what's being stimulated? What's what's moving around up there? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I mean, if we talk about, you know, when we're talking about depression and things, we're talking about levels of serotonin and that aspect. Um, and so same thing happens like when you and your girlfriend first started dating, you know, um, there was this euphoric feeling you you had with each other. You really connected, you know, and we call it the honeymoon phase. And research shows that during that time, your brain literally switches off the part. It's almost like you're on cocaine, but it switches off the part where you're looking at any of the parts that you may not like about the person. Uh, eventually, the honeymoon phase stops around six months. So same thing with sex is, is again, um, you're creating these wonderful endorphins when you're having that connection. But beforehand, um, it's almost like attachment. If I feel connected and to, attached to this person, I feel close to them. I feel safe. So I've created safety. Um, I've created comfort. And I've created an area where I can now be open and be myself. And so that's what's really happening in the brain when we're talking about, like you said, sending the text beforehand, um, doing the dishes, doing their favorite act, whatever their love language is. And again, that signals, again, everything else. Wow. There's there's a lot I, I want to unpack there also. One is uh, you talked about how the, the that honeymoon phase dies off after about six months. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, uh, like I said, we've been dating in, since October and I have to say about after about six months, uh, I start, you know, dipping back into the donuts and cupcakes. Oh, <laughs> for me, it was more like eight, eight or nine months. But mm-hmm. but so, yeah, the, the endorphins are definitely uh, starting to wear off. And I had to I had to sit down. I, I literally had just had this conversation with my girlfriend today about like how I have to find other ways to generate those endorphins. And, and not yeah. that she still doesn't do it for me, but. I I have to find uh, other things that are complementary, you know, yeah. to feed myself, you know, uh, because she's not always going to be there. You know, I travel a lot. She travels, things like that. So how do you generate mm-hmm. those endorphins in a healthy way? Do, do you talk about that, like uh, other healthy ways to get those endorphins that we were receiving in that first six months? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the big part of the honeymoon phase is that it's created, your brain has created it as a safety net to start that form and attachment, you know, just same thing. Like when a mother first has her baby, it's, um, the same kind of creation of this loving connected piece. So it's necessary to happen, you know, after it wears off. Now you have to start again, you see the pieces where maybe they're chewing with their mouth open. Um, you know, they're leaving the door open when they're using the bathroom, you know, (laughs) things you're like, wait a minute, do they always do that? But now it's creating the conversation or um, really creating communication around what are my needs? What are my love languages? Because, again, that also adds to the intimacy or the connection that you have with the person. So it's really talking with your partner, your mate about what do you need in the relationship, you know, continuously because things will happen and you'll figure out new areas or other things about the person. And so it's a constant, a constant conversation with each other about what I need and are my needs met. And I think that's what helps continue the bonding, the connection. You talk about love languages and and I've read the book and, uh, and I just, just yesterday, I have, a, I have a men's group, and we were talking about um, our, our love languages. I mean, that's this is what men talk about in 2020 now. Love I love langu- that. Yes. <laughs> talk about it. Uh, <laughs> men in 1920s would turn over in their grave if they heard this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, for me, it's, it's all about language. Uh, it's about mm. words of affirmation uh, mm. and what she says. Uh, 
And for her, it's all about actions. You know, she, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't talk about it, be about it, you know, uh, <laughs> or do about it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, and as I guess my question is, when you have two different love languages, that the person you're with can't always give you that that length. They can't always uh, communicate with you in that way. Like my girl mm-hmm. won't always be there to give me the uh, the, the verbal love language or the, or the the affirmations, and I won't always able be always be able to give her the acts of service. How do people yeah. give themselves that? And I ask this because Ooh. I feel like infidelity is linked to the fact that we're all trying to get this love from our partner that maybe we received in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, in that honeymoon, you, you, you're going above and beyond. And then that kind of that wanes. How do we start to give that to ourselves when we can't get it from our, our partner? And what would that look like? Oh my God, Leo, I love that question because it does start with us. You know, if we're, you know, we want the love and connection with somebody else, but it really, really starts with us. So hopefully, and this is not everybody, but you're starting to, or you've started to do those pieces for yourself. So you, like you said, words of affirmation, if your love language is words of affirmation, really mind your self-talk. What are you saying to yourself on a daily basis? And a lot of times we're not paying attention to it. You know, um, let's say I hit my knee on something and walking by and I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. You know, not thinking that, 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 that small wording doesn't mean anything. It means everything because I'm not saying it one or two times. I'm saying it probably 10 times throughout the day. So again, if your love language is words of affirmation, how are you talking to yourself? What is your self-talk, right? Um, you know, writing letters to yourself, you know, um, leaving voice memos for yourself. And like I said, if it's acts of service, you know, um, doing something for yourself that speaks of action, you know, um, am I getting my car washed? You know, um, also am I taking, instead of me doing my laundry, can I have a service done? You know, um, can I have, um, somebody help me come clean my house? You know, like that's loving on yourself, maybe not just doing yourself, but having somebody help you with it. That's doing act, um, where you're, you know, helping yourself. So, if you're pouring, again, if you're only looking for your mate to provide that, there's going to be, like you said, there's going to be the infidelity because you're looking for something outside of yourself that you should be providing for yourself first. Then All right. So, I mean, the the person. You, you killed it so well with the, uh, with those two. Can, can we click through all three of them? And, yes. and how we would, all right. So <laughs> for people who, who is, uh, it's like quality time. First of all, what does quality time even mean? Because I feel like men and women have a different definition yes um, (laughs) i'm telling you look so i took the test and i'm kind of like a bilingual love language so i'm um acts of service and quality time are my two and quality time really kind of hit a nerve because i was like i'm not needy i don't need somebody around all the time i'm very independent you know but quality time is 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 uninterrupted full attention of that person that you're with. Meaning if I'm sitting and having dinner with you with a friend, my mom, anybody, I don't want you on your phone. I don't want you distracted watching TV. I want your full attention. I want eye to eye contact because that helps me feel connected. So that's really what the quality time means. It mean, it doesn't mean necessarily I have to be up under you every minute, every day and, you know, like wrapped around your arm. But when I do have your time, I want to feel like I'm being heard and understood. So that's what the quality time is. So for quality time, then when, when couples are spending time binge watching a TV show, that technically is not quality time. Not necessarily. Yeah. No, unless unless they start a conversation afterwards about it or they're talking during it with each other. 
Oh, so having like a debate or a conversation about it. But yeah, no, if you're, if you're just sitting and hanging out that, I mean, that could be part of it, but really you want that undivided because let's say you are watching a movie, but let's say your partner is not fully attuned to the movie. Maybe they're playing um, a game on their phone. That person who their um, love language is quality time will still feel disconnected because again, you're still not giving your full attention to the, to the time that we're spending with each other, if that makes sense. Uh, that makes complete sense. You know, I will say one of the things uh, me and Michelle are very good at doing is uh, we'll pause the movie and talk about something that we've seen of like, damn, would you cheat on me if I did that? Or <laughs> you think it was cool that she took that money? You know, like, I, like you know, yeah. we, we testing each other's uh, morals and stuff, seeing like, w- you know, would you would you have shot that dude if I, you know, right. so um, <laughs> I love that. So, yeah, it, it, we, we make it like it takes us like 12 days to get through one movie. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Uh, and I, I'm usually the one pausing. So I'm just waiting for her to just one day be like, can we just watch the whole movie? It's cute right now. But I think. One day, right. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, you know, uh, for the physical touch, I, what mm-hmm. is that? I mean, now this one is. um you know, I, I've just gotten into the space where I'm comfortable with touching myself. And I don't mean mm-hmm. in like a, a masturbatory way. I mean mm-hmm. more of just like a self-soothing kind of rubbing my arms, rubbing my face uh, yeah. kind of thing. Because I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know I was allowed to touch myself mm-hmm. uh, in such right. a healthy way. So can you talk to us about physical touch and how to, and why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and people don't even realize like, Connection is so important Important when I talk about attachment. There's been research and research in years of studies done on attachment, so much so they created a whole theory and therapy model around attachment. Um, there's this famous um, therapist, Bowlby, who did this experiment with um, a monkey. And the monkey did not have a parent, but what they created was a wire monkey and a monkey with a cloth. And the monkey, even and the wire monkey had a bottle to it where it could get food. But the baby monkey went to the cloth wire monkey because they could get that connection and feeling. So same thing with physical touches. Like we need physical touch. Like that is necessary. Just like food, water, air, you need to feel somebody's skin. You need to feel, you know, um, their warmth. And so if you're providing it for yourself, like you said, do a hand massage for yourself, you know, rub your feet, put some lotion on your feet, you know, <laughs> um, those things, you know, um, also if you can't get it from somebody else, there's so many other options. I mean, you can get, you know, you can get massages there, there's day spas, you know, there's other things that you can do. Um, but yeah, physical touch is, is very necessary and very important. You know, it's when I watch Michelle put on lotion, she looks so calm and tranquil when she does it. And I was like, <laughs> should I, is it, is it something in the lotion? <laughs> I was like, I mean, when when I feel, I feel excited. I don't really feel tranquil, but right. now I, I get it. I go, wow, that whole like nighttime routine of, you know, kind of pampering yourself and, you know, yeah. and putting the lotions and oils on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I realize like it, it has a, uh, you know, it releases that oxytocin sometimes. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then for this last one, receiving gifts, that seems kind of obvious, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you you might, you might share something. I'd be like, Oh, I, you know, I I never looked at it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, gifts, uh, I feel like are pretty obvious again. Um, and I really think it goes being specific about what you're gifting. So if you know, it's something they really, really like, that's awesome. So even for yourself, you know, some people think, Oh, I don't have enough money or I can't get myself this big gift, whether it's a watch or their favorite backpack or purse or whatever. It's just gift yourself. You know, if you have a favorite candy bar, 
get three candy bars, you know, um, it doesn't have to be this big, big thing. You can still find joy in the little things. So it's just gifting something that they really enjoy and something they really like. And I know we talked about this before already in terms of like sex and intimacy, but uh, can we um, discuss more of the difference in a, in a nuance between sex and intimacy and, and, and what that really means? Yeah, no, I, I love talk, speaking about that because, you, like you said, a lot of people feel like intimacy and sex are interchangeable or are connected, which they are connected, but not interchangeable. I mean, sex is the physical aspect. That's the intercourse. That's the penetration. Um, intimacy, again, it, it happens beforehand. Is Intimacy is connection. It's all about connection. Um, when we talk about chemistry, when we talk about feeling like one with the person, you know, again, do I feel understood? Do I feel heard? Do I feel seen? by this person, you know, um, are they supporting them in my goals? You know, do they, um, whatever is important to you, whatever your values are, do you connect on that? And so if I do, that definitely helps me in the, my sex life. It doesn't, it's not the be all, but it, it is, it's very, very important. I've seen a lot of people where, um, they come in for sex therapy because I, um, I'm working to get licensed as a sex therapist as well, but I've had several couples who come in for sex therapy and they're thinking we're going to just talk about the sex. And the thing I go to is the relationship, you know, where did the issue start and happen? And usually there's a disconnect in the intimacy or trust, or there's infidelity, but more times it's not even infidelity. It's just, there's been a break in the trust and the safety that was created in the beginning of the relationship. And now that completely impacts the sex life. Um, also, people don't realize is that a lot of sexual disorders that men and women have are usually connected to anxiety, depression, or again, their disconnection or not being attached to their partner. So if a man is suffering from erectile dysfunction and I assess that it's not medical um, and there's no other physical damage or ailments, then the, the thing I'm going to is a relationship, meaning, you know, this has only happened when you masturbate. Or does it happen when you masturbate and have sex with your partner? And if I find out that it only happens when, when they're having sex with their partner, I'm, I'm looking at, well, what's happening in that bedroom? What's happening where you guys are disconnected? Is she demeaning you and shaming you before you get in the bedroom? And then she's like, hey, or is she demeaning you in the bedroom? But all those things are connected. If I don't feel connected to my partner, that's definitely going to impact my sex life. What are, I hope I answered that. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, there's there's always like a, a million other questions that, that I think about it as you as you speak. Um, what are some ways that uh, I want to just say women because you said uh, is she demeaning you? But what are some ways partners demean or shame the other person that they may not be aware of? Uh, you know, there's mm. there's the obvious ways of you know you ain't yo you got us too you know mm -hmm. blah blah blah. But then there's some mm -hmm. subtle ways that uh, those those little paper cuts. What what are those mm -hmm. little paper cuts it, it, that uh, we use to demean and shame each other? Mm -hmm. Oh, I like the, the I like that term paper cuts because sometimes they're small and they're big to the other person. So again, it may not just be in the bedroom. It may be you know, um, let's say you're going through a life experience that's really really hard and the person doesn't feel supported. You know, so if I'm saying, oh well, you know. Anybody can get through this. You know, you're taking up too much room and too much space um, and you're really overthinking things. So when I get in the bedroom, how do your words are, are again, those little cuts, how are they still now showing up in the bedroom? 
you know, if I don't feel valued, if I feel dismissed, how is that going to look in the bedroom? Am I going to feel really confident in initiating sex with you if you feel that way about me? So does that make sense about how those little cuts can show up or what, or things you'll say? Absolutely. It, you know, and one of the things that I, I'm just now, I've been reading a lot of books on sleep and I'm realizing mm. how much our uh, circadian rhythm can affect uh, our, like how we show up in a relationship. The, mm. uh, you know, like our, our it's like if, if we have a different circadian rhythm, meaning like some people are more aroused in the morning versus at night, or I'm just finding out for myself that like, you know, I'm, I'm more of a midday uh uh, mm-hmm. person and um and but you know in the middle of the day most people are at work so like right. if, if, <laughs> if if your spike if your peak is at you know noon or three right. I, and i think that's why you know I, I some some people end up having you know little trysts at work because mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. when they're thin. now have you found that in like in terms of circadian rhythm arousal states is it is it linked to time of day and all that stuff that actually that's not um, a subject or a topic I've really studied in. I, I mean, I know that sleep is important to your mental health, but not to the extent what you're talking about, but that makes perfect sense. And and kind of to extend what you're talking about is that a lot of times you will think your partner needs to be on the same page as you in order for it to happen. And really, it's just really coming together and organizing what, what will work best. And I was actually talking to a friend the other day about this, and they may have been married for like 20, 25 years. And they were like, no, we have to plan sex. It just doesn't happen you know, maybe in the beginning in the honeymoon phase and we were both young or living in different places. But now that you add us married, kids, work, we have to be very intentional about creating the time. And so, like you said, which I I actually would love to study more about is that, again, if I am more wanting to feel connected to my partner in, in midday and then again, they're middle of the night, how do we come together and figure that out? And it's really, I'm not even saying sacrifice, but a compromise. Like, I want to feel connected to my partner, and I want them to feel connected. So how can we meet in the middle with that? I love that. Yeah, and I I love that you said sometimes you have to be intentional. I I think that a lot of times because of movies and and the media, we we think it it always has to be romantic. But right, sometimes you right. gotta you gotta plan it and uh, and and hope for the romance. But you know, yes. sometimes mm-hmm. you, gotta, you gotta squeeze it in between yoga and, mm-hmm. uh, and spin class. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. The you know you talked about anxiety and depression and sometimes how that can affect performance in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to get into the financial talk, but mm-hmm. um, how. In terms of anxiety and and, uh, just focusing, I guess, more on anxiety, because so many people experience performance anxiety. I just was having a conversation about women, how women have performance anxiety. Yes. Can you talk about that? Because that's something that, uh, you know, I haven't really heard talked about too much. Yeah, no, um, that I wish more people talked about that, because, again, we don't. we are socialized to think that women well aren't sexual beings, but also that again we just we're able to just go and do what we need to do, and women do around performance, especially like you said, if our mate has really is connected to porn. So can I perform that way? Um, I actually talked to a friend about you know there's not I mean they have it it's more frequent now, but actually not just sex education classes, but sex classes where they're teaching you to perform fellatio, teaching you different areas of the body that you know your mate may enjoy. 
And so beforehand, this probably wasn't even a topic or in a space where they could learn this. So again, women, if they haven't, and let's say their belief around sex is that it is private, you don't talk about it, then how I am, how am I supposed to learn about how to really please my partner and please myself? And so when I do now am connected to somebody, I may be really in my head about, oh, well, can I show up in the way that he needs? Am I, am I secure about my body? Am I secure about being connected with them in this way. So I think those are the, the, the things that show up for women a lot more, more so than not. Well, you know, that makes sense because, you know, when we think about, you know, masturbation or pleasing oneself or self, you know, or autoeroticism, uh, we usually think about men, uh, you know, doing that. And, and we, mm-hmm. and we still, it's not, you know, women, is something that we're starting to see more and more of it in, in media. Mm-hmm. And you start to see it getting, becoming more accepted. So that makes sense that, you know, women still aren't comfortable with their bodies, knowing their bodies and, Mm -hmm. you know, just being with themselves and and exploring. Uh, And I was interesting because I've just realized, you know, because I'm 44 and I got to get a prostate exam at some point pretty Mm -hmm. soon. Yeah. um, That uh, this whole exploring your body becomes important because that's how you discover the lumps. That's how you discover uh, you know, uh, uh, cancer, you know, gr- growths, uh, you know, and things like that. So it's, it's not just about, it could be for self-soothing. It could be a medical examination. It could be for pleasure. There's so many different mm-hmm. ways we could explore our body that I, I think, uh, we, we don't discuss. Absolutely. I, I really hope, and my hope is whenever before I leave this earth is that we normalize those conversations. We normalize for women, um, that you're not just sexual beings and objects, but you're a person and a human. And so what do my breasts feel like? What, what do areas that I enjoy feel like? And, and then being okay, you know, in terms of finances, how do people have that financial conversation? This is one of the reasons why this is important is not just in terms of getting married, but a, a lot of people become undone in a divorce. And, you know, a lot of it is tied to finances. So what are the yeah. conversations people need to have beforehand? Is it like, get, let me see all your bank accounts or <laughs> like, like, what, like we're really being thorough. Like what, yeah. what does that look like? I would say do that. Um, I wish I knew her name, but there was a, a young black woman who wrote a book about um, people in relationships and how to talk about money. Uh, I'm so mad at myself, but she was great. And she just highlighted some things that connect to the work that I do. So in being a marriage and family therapist, I really go to the root. So I want to know about how you learned about how to manage money. Um, what were the rules and expectations around money? Um, how do you handle finances now? How did the, your family com, uh, have conversations around money? You know, because all that's going to connect to what you do now. And again, your expectation is, well, I know to do this. So if my mate doesn't do this, oh, well, why don't they, you know, but really going to the root of where you're at now with how you manage your money. And then also finding out again, because again, everybody comes in with this expectation or idea about, well, yeah, well, you know, we'll have one account and we'll just share everything. And the other person may be like, well, no, I want my own account and then we can have an account for bills. It's that. So where do you meet in the middle? What works for both of you? And not just what works for both of you, but what, where do you want to go to where what's going to meet your goals? Cause you have goals that you want to achieve, you know, whether it's buying a home, whether it's buying, going on vacations or traveling, whatever it is, is that you both have goals. And so how do you meet that goal? You know, you don't have to take two different cars to get there. <laughs> um, you can get on one car and then figure out the pieces of how to get there. And so that's the thing to me, you would do around managing your money. 
but yeah. Yeah, and now, yeah, because I know people who are married and they don't, um, they have, some have joint accounts, some have completely separate accounts, so they have some individual and then joint accounts, and then, mm-hmm. um, and then I met this one guy and he was like, you know, I just, when I get paid, I just give my wife the paycheck and then she figures out <laughs> all the yeah. things to do with it. So it really is about having a conversation about what works for you and not yes. what everybody else is saying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a lot of the work I do with a lot of the couples is that, you know, all that you grew up with, all is not um, lost. There's some pieces you want to take and keep that are really meaningful to you and are helpful. And there's some pieces you want to leave behind. And you just have to decide with you and your partner what's going to work best. That's it. And then, you know, once we we, we talked about sex, we talked about finances, uh, you know, the, the other piece is conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. You know, I I grew up with uh, my mom. My my dad wasn't really around, and mm-hmm. uh, my mom was married before, and uh, they divorced when I was like I don't know, maybe nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I and I had to be earlier than nine, like maybe I had to be like five or something. And so what I realized recently is that because my mom. You know, she she dated, but, you know, there wasn't really a, a permanent guy in the house mm-hmm. um, that I never witnessed conflict resolution. I saw mm-hmm. my mom be pissed and then I, either she was cool or pissed. And I realized mm-hmm. I had that same kind of uh, makeup in how I handle things. And mm-hmm. and so I've never seen someone get upset and then be escalate or a one person calming the other person down. So I'm, I'm now having to learn that skill in my relationship. Can you talk to us about conflict resolution and, and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. And that is um, one of the main things or staples that come up in, you know, premarital counseling or even marriage counseling. And so the key thing is, like you said, we do what we know to do because we saw it. You know, it's not like somebody said, this is how you resolve conflict. It was just what we saw. And so we repeated that even unbeknownst to us. So usually what I do when they come in my room is, is figuring that out. How do you respond to conflict? You know, do you shut down? And usually there's a dance that people do. And I would recommend um, this book to a lot of couples, individuals. It's a book called Hold Me Tight, and it's by Sue Johnson, who um, is a um, therapist who created this um, therapy called Emotionally Focused Therapy. And so it gets to the heart of what's going on. But it talks about this dance that couples do. Most, and I've found this to be true, is that most couples, either one person is going to withdraw, meaning the conflict is too much, and so they're going to pull away. That might mean shutting down and not talking. That might be leaving the space. Um, That might be leaving emotionally. And then there's going to be a pursuer. There's somebody who's going to like, I need to talk right now. Um, they're going to shout, they're going to yell, they're going to do more to heighten the situation. And so figuring out, so what role do you usually, or how you show up? And so we're going to kind of, I don't want to say pick apart, but we're really going to look at what did you learn and not, I always tell my couples, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's that, does this fit for your partner? So if your partner is a pursuer and their thing is, we got to talk about it now. My family always talked about everything. We yelled it out and then we went to the movies. But your partner is like, yeah, no, I didn't do that. We just did not yell or scream. We didn't talk about anything. So I withdraw is that. So when you do that, what happens for your partner who's a pursuer? They're going to feel kind of like disconnected from you. They're going to feel like they're dismissed. 
And so how do I help you now not do the same thing that you did? It's going to be automatic, but I really had to work with you that, oh, you can show up. You just, your, your family did argue, you didn't see it, but there's ways that you can still resolve conflict. And same thing for the pursuer is that, okay, you show up in this way. So how can I help you, you know, unlearn, not unlearn, but do something different that helps your mate because your mate might get overwhelmed with you coming at them. Can you give them space for 10 or 15 minutes so that they now can create a space for you to be heard? So it's, it's really going back to your roots. What did you learn? Um, how does that work and how does that not work in your relationship? And then how do you all work together to, to understand each other, understand the signals and the things that the other person puts out so that you can meet them where they're at. Yeah, because when a woman says, you know, or I say when, but like when somebody's complaining about the dishes, mm-hmm. like what, like what, <laughs> to me that, that that's like surface level stuff, right? And mm-hmm. It's like the, mm-hmm. they do the dishes and blah blah. What are they usually communicating? Uh, you know, um, and I ask this because, like, for here, for for example, the other night, um, you know, I I came home late and. Um, uh, and my girl was like, where were you? And I was like, what? You know, I, I kind of felt attacked <laughs> right, and, right. and I kind of felt like she didn't trust me. Mm-hmm. And w- w- as we start to click through the emotions and, and what, what did, where, uh, where were you? What did that really mean? Uh, at the, at the, at the, um, the, the root of it was that she missed me. Mm-hmm. And I was Good like, work. wow, if you had just said you missed me. And then <laughs> we, we could have had, yeah, we could have got it on and, and cracking. <laughs> but you said, where were you? And now I'm like, what you mean? Where was I? Then I was like, where was I? You know, like, was I, was I not supposed to be where I was? You know? Right. So, I, you know, and and I think that when uh, people learn, and it's so hard because we don't mm-hmm. talk, we don't learn to talk by leading with emotion. No. Like to say, mm-hmm. I missed you is a very vulnerable statement versus mm-hmm. Where were you? And mm-hmm. and so I, I guess so that, you know, so my question about like, why didn't you do the dishes is rooted in that of like, uh, what are what are people really saying when they when they pick in these little fights? And, and mm-hmm. absolutely. And I love and I love what you all did. That's great. And 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 it's rare that people can get to that place and walk through the person walk through with the person what was really happening for them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's usually always something underlying. And I actually had a couple session last night and they're doing premarital counseling. And we were talking about that. So I always have the couple that comes and complains about something that is not what's really about. So if they come in and say, oh, well, he never listens. You know, I tell him to unplug the toaster every time he leaves the house. He never unplugs it. He never unplugs it. I just don't get it, you know? And so I'm like, you know, it's not about the toaster. And she'll be like, what do you mean? It's not about the toaster. It is about the toaster. I'm just telling you. He doesn't unplug it. I asked him to unplug it. I said, no. What it's telling me is that you feel unheard. You feel unheard and dismissed a lot in your relationship. So when he doesn't unplug it, that's just another example for you of how he's not listening to you. And so we really have to find out what areas do you want him to hear you and understand you that he's not. So you're right. So you didn't do the dishes. Again, it might just be they're a very super clean person and they just want you to do, do the dishes. But more times than not, is connected to something else that's happening in the relationship where they feel disconnected, unheard, dismissed, whatever that feeling is, disappointed. And so, yeah, the dishes may be, you know, well, I don't feel supported by you. Maybe I do everything else in the house and all I ask you to do is to do the dishes. So same thing is that I, I support you in all that you do. I go to, you know, your work events. I go to your family events and I ask you to do one thing for me 
come to one sporting event and you don't come. And so I feel, you know, hurt. So yeah, it's, it's, it's usually connected to something else. Uh, wow. So, so she, so if she were to rephrase it, it would be like, I feel hurt when you don't do the dishes or like, how would she rephrase that in a way where maybe he doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't shut him down. That's a, that's a good question. So it won't be, it won't be at first where she's just able to rephrase it because it still will be, well, you didn't do the dishes. It will have, it will be him having uh, the emotional intelligence around his mate, knowing it's just not about the dishes, if that makes sense. Because it's not, it is a big responsibility of the one person to share what's going on with them. But there's also re- shared responsibility in the relationship to say, wait, why is my mate showing up in this way? Because a lot of times, and I love this analogy, is we're always operating out of our wounds. The one thing we can't see is our wounds because they're underneath. And so a lot of times we're consistently triggering those wounds. And sometimes, again, your wounds are healed and there's just a scar there. So there's a reminder of what you went through. Sometimes your wound is kind of scabbed over. You know, when you first scrape your knee, when you've been playing it's kind of just got the scab over it where it's still healing. But if you hit something, it might bleed again. Your wound might be there or your wound is completely open. We still see the flesh and there's pus coming out. So depending on where you're at in healing your wound, you're going to respond out of that. And that's what will happen in the relationship. So a lot of times, instead of saying, you know, I feel like I'm never hurt or I don't feel like you show up for me like I show up for you. It's going to be you didn't do the dishes. You didn't unplug the toaster. Where were you? Um, but the other mate can be part in that and say, and know that there's something else or know that there's something going on, but they may respond to their triggers as well. So I, I think it's really, really important to understand and hear your mate and take a step back. And, I, and we didn't talk about this, but communication is key in doing that. So. Is there, um, you know, communications, being able to step back and hear your mate, because like you said, two people are wounded and, and, uh, and, if one person's wound opens up another person's wound, it's, I, you know, I, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I'm, I'm just now learning how to step back yeah. uh, before mm-hmm. it was two wounds going at each other. You know, it was just <laughs> yep. two, two amygdalas uh, bouncing around <laughs> uh, back and forth. And so I, I guess for the, the, per, the, the person who uh, uh, feels attacked, that, that second person, you know, mm-hmm. she comes in, you ain't do the dishes. How, how and what's the way that he can respond? As you say, it sounds like it's about more than the dishes or is it like what? what's his what's his script or what's his response to that? Is it like, no, OK, a- I'm going to do the dishes. <laughs> well, it, de- it depends on where he's at in his own healing. And I love that you said that is that, you know, two wounded, two wounded people, depending on where they're at, are bleeding all over each other. Right. Um, and so depending on where he's at in his healing and where he's at with um, his mate, because also the, the misconcept is that you have to be fully healed now to be able to show up for your mate in that way. That's not necessarily true. I think it's important to be working on your healing. But how you care and show up for the person is more important than that. And so am I egocentric in this relationship? Am I individualized? Am I not thinking about the other person? Because I imagine what helps um, create that space is a person saying, I care about this person. So what's really going on? So if she's mad because I'm not doing the dishes, I'm either going to do the dishes or I'm going to step back and be like, okay, what am I not doing? And again, that goes back to um, the intimacy and the connection you have in the relationship. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. And then, you know, 
I, I know you're an amazing uh, marriage and family therapist, but sometimes, you know, good things come to an end. And, <laughs> and what am I and, talking about, Leo? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and what's really hard for a lot of people is uh, handling a divorce, um, mm-hmm. the, that loss. And um, so many people end their lives, you know, with this being a suicide prevention podcast, they end their lives over breakups. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my girlfriend's working at oh, yeah. a suicide prevention podcast right now or suicide prevention uh, hotline. And, mm-hmm. and the, the two phone calls that she's getting are mostly from kids, like 10 mm-hmm. to 8, 16. And yep. it's around breakups and grades. And I realize even as adults, we have a, a, a such a difficult time handling a breakup. I, you know, mm-hmm. all, all those songs, you know, from the 80s. And mm-hmm. I mean, all those, all those old love songs is about breakups and heartbreak. I mean, today, dudes were walking around like, they don't, I don't need you and, uh, you know, this mm-hmm. independent theme and blah, blah, blah. But when I was growing up, it was just all pain and heartache. Um, <laughs> but I, so my question is, is for somebody who knows they're about to get a divorce, what mm-hmm. are, especially for men, mm-hmm. uh, what are ways that men can uh, protect themselves from the grief and, and not mm-hmm. to say that not to experience grief, because that's inevitable. That's a part of it. But mm-hmm. what do they need to have in place to to handle that that divorce they might be going through? No, no, that's a that's a great question, especially for the men. And the first thing I would say is find your tribe, find the men around you that can be that support, that can be that um, that arm to lean on. Um, just because again, you don't want to feel like you're going in it alone. You know, you'll feel very alone. Um, but find your tribe, find other men who may be divorced where you feel comfortable, um, sharing with and being open with, you know, um, talk to, like we call them Philly, the old heads, talk to men who, again, who've been on the circle a little bit longer, who maybe experienced it and, and can give you some wisdom and impart some wisdom to you in how to work through it. Definitely find your tribe, you know, cause you're not, you're not, not, not to dismiss it. You, you, um, other people have gone before you in the sense of that they've gone through it. Definitely find your tribe. I always recommend therapy. It's always an extra piece to understand how do I work through this? Because what people don't, they don't look at divorce this way. And I hope that people do. I impart this to them is that divorce is like a death. You are still going to go through the grieving process. It's a loss. You, um, depending on how long you're married, you're not just losing the person, you're losing the culture you've created in your relationship and marriage and family. You know, you might lose friends, um, you might lose events, times, all that is you're going to go through a grieving process. You're going to go through the five stages of grief. And so, um, not only find your tribe, again, find additional support about how to grieve that in a healthy way for yourself. You know, I, I love that idea of finding your tribe. I just started a men's group and uh, because of that, because I was, you know, I'm in San Diego and uh, and you know, I can't see my boys the way I did because, of you know, the quarantine. And so mm-hmm. uh, we, we meet together once a week on Zoom and um, and there's a book called Tribes. I, there's a mm. couple books called Tribes. There's one by Seth Godin. It's a really good okay. book. But there's one by uh, his name. Last name is Younger, J-U-N-G-E-R. And he talks mm-hmm. about how important it is, especially for men, to have a tribe. Um, and and it, But I know some people are in secluded areas. There are mm-hmm. Facebook. There's so many online groups that are free. Um, yes. That, and uh, on Facebook, they have divorced support groups for men specifically. 
that you can join. And, and I'm sure there's some other resources out there. So, you know, if you can't mm -hmm. find it physically, you can definitely find it online. Yes, absolutely. And um, not a shameless plug, but I, it's it's a project that's a heart of mine. Um, I help co-found um, a nonprofit called Black Men Heal. Um, I do some consulting work now, but there um, we do a, every Sunday we do a virtual group for men called King's Corner. And again, there's different topics each week. I'm talking about emotional intelligence, talking about um, relationship with mothers, all that good stuff. And again, it's for the men. It's for you to have this space to share how you never shared and have the support that you never had. So I love that you started your group too, because it's, it's so necessary. It's so important. Kavana, is there anything that we haven't talked? About? I mean, I, I know that you, <laughs> there's so much we could talk about, but, there is, there, is. <laughs> but is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like uh, that needs to be talked about at this point in time in terms of mental health and taking care of yourself? Not necessarily. I can, I think just what you just said is take care of yourself. You know, a lot of times we're looking for somebody else to take care of us and there's nothing wrong with that because we are meant, we are meant to be connected. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're alone. We're the only person experiencing it. And what I want to leave everybody with is that we're not, and, you know, again, my training or my belief is that we are connected. Even if you don't have a person right there with you, we, we don't operate in silos. Everything that happens, I'm talking to you, I'm connected to you. Um, my clients, I'm connected to them. So I, I don't. And so just remember that even when you feel alone, you're not there. There's some, there's some, there's something bigger than you. And there's something people around you that you're connected to. And, and plug all your things. Where can people find you? Where, where, all of that. Awesome. So, um, you can find me on Instagram on K Love Theories. I'm on Facebook, Kavana Nixon. That's K E V A N A Nixon, like President Nixon. No relation. Um, <laughs> um, also, I work um, at a, out of a private practice, which I'm in the office today. It's called BoyerCounselingGroup.org. So you can check me out and in info. It's a black-owned um, counseling group here in Philadelphia. Um, also I would say check out, um, blackmanheal.org they're, again, they're offering wonderful services and they're branching out and providing free therapy for, um, black men. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And then last question I ask of all my guests, because I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life Yeah. before you kill yourself. What would you say to them, Kavana? Mm, I would say you are not what you did. And you are not what somebody did to you. Um, a lot of times I feel like we are carrying our wounds are from somebody else and not necessarily for things that we we have done or the things we have done we're still holding on to. A lot of times we keep ourselves um, in a jail cell, you know, where it's open and it can be unlocked and we can walk through it. But you are not what you did and you are not what somebody did to you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or the 1-800-273-TALK or any of the other numbers listed in all of the show notes. There's there phone numbers. You can text. You can chat. You can email. There are resources for you. There are Facebook groups that you can join. There is support out there for you. And your story needs to be heard. You just have to be willing to share it and ask for help. Uh, and, and if you need one-on-one -on -one therapy, there are also organizations that will help you uh, pay for your therapy. You don't just need insurance. There are groups out there. There are grants that you can get. There are, even if you, uh, we, we had somebody on, I think it was not Gary Goldman, but I had a, another guest on who 
uh, admitted herself into a, a psych ward, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the bill was twenty eight thousand. And then uh, there was an organization that helped her, a mental health organization for people who struggle with uh, bipolar disorder, and uh, they got her bill down to seven hundred. So mm-hmm. there are resources out there for you, 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 but you have to do the work and be an advocate for yourself uh, until somebody uh, uh, aligns with you. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Gavana. Thank you, Leo. This is wonderful.